When it says Libby's, Libby's, Libby's on the label, 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 nothing's better, better, better on your table, 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 cause we think you'll agree, it's hard to find a canned vegetable that's younger, tender, rounder, sweeter, redder, moister, brighter, crisper, on the Libby's label. So let's talk about labels for a second. You've got all kinds, of course. You've got warning labels that make you wonder about the intelligence of the average consumer, like the dog blanket I have where the label says, do not use for protection against a tornado. Excellent point. Or the microwave pizza label that says, warning, product will be hot after heating. All right then. Or there's the truly self-referential label, such as the bar of soap that I saw that where the usage instructions say, use like regular soap. Really? If you felt the need to put instructions on the soap, doesn't it then make sense to not assume that I know? Oh, never mind, I'm going to break my brain trying to figure that one out. But then there are the other kinds of labels, the ones we give ourselves that ultimately put self-limitations on our abilities. But even worse are the labels that others put on us. Today we absolutely live in a culture of labels, hashtags, categories, a human taxonomy of putting categories and labels on everything. And unfortunately, we begin to pull these into our identity, feeling like in order to be someone, anyone worth noting in the world, we have to give into these voices and fit in, and preferably within the confines of our branded hashtag, our label. And this might even be harder for us as marketers because we work in a profession that values the label, the brand, and we try desperately for people to associate our brand with the label we create, the hashtag, the category. The talk in many pundit circles these days is that the consumer actually defines our brand. So it stands to reason, well, why wouldn't everyone else in our community define ours? Neither of these is true, by the way. But our mission, our skill, our habit to develop is not only in how we create new labels in our business, it's shedding them for ourselves and our strategy as well. And that's the theme of our show today, labels. Creating new ones to take us to another step in this new world, and shedding the ones that limit our abilities in the one we live in today. As the wonderful philosopher Alan Watts once said, waking up to who you are requires letting go of who you imagine yourself to be. So you ready to let go and try on the hashtag new me? Well then, let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 136 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, June 19th, 2016, Father's Day. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the father of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend, and happy Father's Thank Day. Thank you very much. Do, uh, does anyone wish you a happy Father's Day for your dogs or anything no, like that? No, they just know they, no. My dog looks at me longingly for treats, but that's about the only congratulations You should get a Father's get Day card to... from your pets. I mean, you just should. <laughs> well, it, on, on rare occasion... Some, you know, either my niece or somebody like that will will get creative and send me a Father's Day card from Daisy. But but no, otherwise, otherwise, no, I, I sit and watch the Facebook feed go by of all of the daughters and sons sending 
could, so can I make myself sound any more pathetic here? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I don't know if Father's Day is Sunday Got it. to me. Well, the big talk here yeah. for Father's Day in, in Cleveland is, of course, it could be the greatest Father's Day in the history oh, of Cleveland, gosh. Ohio. Now, as this goes yeah. live, the game will already be done, obviously, because this will go live Monday That's right. night we're recording on Sunday. So, so, folks, you are either hearing a pre-sobbing Polizzi or a post-laughing Polizzi. We don't know which yet. Well, the big, uh, you know, the big kerfuffle, if you will, was the... Ooh, a I know, is the issue that, as you know, we're flying out to, to London today with the family. That's right. That's I'll right. I'll be speaking at the B2B Marketing Conference there on Wednesday, but we're going to take a little vacation of it. It'll be super fun. And we are flying out, and we will be in the air as the game happens. And the, there were a couple yeah. big issues. First of all is, do we um, actually change flights so we could be here? Oh, no. And then, yeah. of course, that well, that was over? a quick no. That was a, yeah, <laughs> that was a quick, like, uh, who are you? And get out of my face right yeah, now. Exactly. Uh, so, so we just moved on from that. We'll meet you there. We moved on to, does the plane have Wi-Fi? It, yeah, it, well, of course it well, will. Not of course it will, because that's not a sure thing internationally, at least I found. Oh, fair 50, enough. 50, yeah, I mean, I, 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 the flights I, do. I see. But it is on American. And, but then, Well, know, we're anyway. flying United, and we have found out <laughs> that we are on a plane equipped with Wi-Fi. So yes, at least we good. will be able to get updates. So my, my son, my youngest, Adam, and I were very excited about getting updates of some kind. That's right. And you'll be able to listen to it, probably. You'll find an online internet radio station that'll be broadcasting the game. You should be able to listen to it. Well, and as I told you before the show, either way, whatever time it is, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, UK time, I, I will be crying. I will be crying either tears of joy or tears of heartache. <laughs> and ongoing frustration for 52 well, for years. for you, my friend, I say go Cavs. I say go LeBron. I hope it all works it would out. Be, it would be nice. It would be great for the city. It would be great for for the Cavaliers. And, uh, you know, it's t the, the one thing I have to say, because we were joking about it this morning, is the, you know, um, Steph Curry's wife and the whole thing about oh, tweeting right. out that it's uh, it's rigged, the whole thing. And yeah, then there was, right. there was a Cleveland fan that tweeted out, <laughs> said, nothing in the history of Cleveland has anything <laughs> ever been that. rigged. So you can't go there. In our favor. In our favor. Right? That's right. You can't. Exactly. <laughs> That's so true. If it was rigged sometime in the last, you know, in the game sevens, in the red, right, whatever, you know, all the, the fumble, exactly. the drive, something would have gone our way. But. There you go. <laughs> do we have uh, do we have news this week, my friend? We do have news to speak about this uh, this week here. So we'll open up our show uh, with two stories about our favorite friend Facebook. Here Yay. we'll pair them together. Um, and the first article that we'll start with here uh, comes to us courtesy of Digiday.com. And it, uh, it the headline here is Facebook extends instant articles starting with Intel. Now, we've talked about this maybe ad nauseum about the sort of uh, opening up of the publishing, the instant articles. We even talked about the details of which you the requirements that you'd have on a, on a past show. But here we go. The first brand, which is Intel. <clears throat> 
is now leaping into the uh, leaping into the fray here. As they say, the distinction between marketers and publishers is getting increasingly blurred. Facebook, which created instant articles a year ago to make publishers' articles load faster, is now giving you uh, those tools. Intel is the first to take advantage, posting content from its digital tech-focused publication, IQ, as instant articles starting last week. Now, we're going to pair this with another story that comes from AdAge.com, which is Facebook now also launches a creative hub to simplify the creation of ads. This is an instructional platform, I guess you'd call it, um, where the headline, Uh, leads into an article that says Facebook ads like those on many platforms started out relatively simple, but as they've rolled out new ad products, including those which you can sort of target and collect emails from, and to help marketers keep those ads coming, not to mention make the shift to mobile advertising, the company is now introducing a creative hub, an online platform for agencies, brands, and anyone involved in the creation of ads on Facebook to share, review, test, and create these ads on Facebook um, and also the Facebook-owned Instagram. Facebook is billing it as the online space meant to foster collaboration. So... I have a bit of a take on both of these, but uh, what did you what did you think about Intel, and what do you think about this new platform? That's so funny. The first line of this article: the dis- distinction between marketers and publishers is getting increasingly blurred. What that's been used? Those what, labels are, those times? labels are getting increasingly like blurred. Times? Yes, exactly I mean, come right. Come on, how many times are we going to use yeah. that that sentence? And uh, it is blurred. Uh, it is you can't tell the difference anymore, my friend. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is not. It is not becoming increasingly. It just blurred. is blurred. It, has, it, it is just, blurred. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> Past tense. Ed. How do you get, yeah, when it's blurry, how do you get no more participles blurry? here? I mean, like, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, um, anyways, <laughs> this is that's a, this show is going to be a little bit punchy. I have a feeling. Uh, it's like the pixelated thing, you know, when people are naked and they pixelate out the private parts. That's that's where publishers and advertisers really, are right yeah, now. That's a really good. We are the pixelated private parts. <laughs> uh, well, you and I predicted this. I mean, uh, did hello? we not? Yeah, have we not talked about we this did. many times that instant yes. articles and we we see the publishers and media companies rush in there, but ultimately this was going to be taken over and it will be. I mean, of course, Intel is the first instant article case study as we know, but there will be more and more. And I think another prediction on top of what we've already been talking about is that more brands will be using instant articles than publishers. Um, it's an easy thing to see coming to the fact that uh, publishers, media companies need to make money off of instant articles, and uh, you know p- companies like I uh, on Intel don't have to make money directly off of there. What I thought was interesting though was Facebook's definition of a media company. Did you look at this? Did you see what? Yeah, you know what their I, definition I of a media company is. You have to publish consistent content, and you have to have some internal structure for doing so. Yeah. <laughs> what exactly it's what pretty the broad. what it's like are you kidding me here so yeah. it's so basically yes according to facebook we are all we are all publishers because that's pretty much that's right. every company on the planet so that's right you want to hear my conspiracy theory so, here oh yes Oh, yeah. So, okay, here. So, here's my conspiracy theory. So, I, here's what I think. I think, so th- this part isn't uh, part of the conspiracy theory, but I think what's going to happen here is that, you know, we're already starting to see the publishers become unenamored, basically, you know, disenchanted, as it were, with the whole platform, the Instant Articles platform. Yeah. You know, you're all, we talked about it last week on the show, and we've talked about it a couple of weeks where publishers are really struggling to see the value in these Instant Articles and the publishing on Facebook as a platform. It's a, as we've said, it's a race to zero in terms of, you know, traffic, engagement, et cetera, et cetera. 
I think brands are going to find the same thing. Okay. But here's, but so ultimately, I think long term, I think we're going to see brands struggle. Now, to your point, there is a different goal there. They're not looking for the same kinds of monetization as publishing companies. So maybe there's a longer runway there for brands. But I think at some point, <clears throat> you're going to see Facebook begin to subsidize publishers, especially the big brand publishers that will be there, in order to act as a magnet for brands. In other words, they'll, they'll on the back end of that, subsidize some big name publishers. Maybe it's, you know, Washington Post or National Geographic or some of the early players in the space in order to basically provide a magnet for brands and say, hey, listen, National Geographic is here and all these other publishers are here. Your brand should be here as well, because if it's just a sea of brands, the content marketing sort of nature of it becomes a lot less attractive. It's only really attractive if there are other trustworthy publishing brands in there as well. So I think here's my, my conspiracy theory is, is that as publishers start to pull out, Facebook will begin to subsidize some of those ones that are bigger brands in order to keep it as a viable place for brands to go advertise. You know, it's interesting. I, I actually could see that happening because of the <clears> fact that now you're just looking at a basic content syndication play. I mean, the, basically, that's Facebook exactly would be right. paying yeah. like, like actually they should have from from the dawn from since the start. They should have been paying publishers in order to leverage that content. Uh, it sort of worked backwards, and publishers have given them all this content for free because they want the exposure. They've had promises of being able to monetize that, which haven't come true. So I I like that. I think that that absolutely could happen. Just sort of. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's the same we'll see. thing. So what do you think about this platform now? Because I looked at this thing, this new platform to help simplify the creation of ads. And I see, okay, well, here's Facebook sort of recognizing that it's complicated, it's hard, and figuring out Facebook is difficult. And quite frankly, it's in their best interest to have good content on here. And this goes to a story that we'll speak about a little later in the show, basically agencies and publishers, quite frankly, aren't very good at this yet. And so they've set this thing up to say, look at all the possibilities, look at all the cool things you can do and creating these wonderful user experiences on our platform. And, and it, it, it feels very ad focused to me, but what did you think? I think that it's one itty bitty step and they need to take a whole lot more of them in that direction. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that whatever this is called, the creative hub, where it's sort of this ongoing tutorial and there's resources there and you can do lots of cool things. You can figure out what works and what doesn't, and that's fantastic. But I think if, because of a lot of the challenges we're going to continue to see, especially with advertising, native advertising, you know, of course, what we just talked about with instant articles, they need to put on a full front effort and educate marketers in a, and, and I think you said this already, um, not just about advertising, just about how to be better marketers. I think that would be almost like a go like Google Think has tried to do, right? Google Think. I love sure. Google almost, Think's program. Almost like a um, – I'm trying to think of the right word here, like a, like a content marketing like initiative would be – would be my <laughs> – would Wouldn't be it be – wouldn't that make sense for them to do that? Yeah. And, I mean, all the great case <laughs> studies we talk about on here, they – this is – they're prime. They're set up for this perfectly. They just have to right. go, out, go ahead and say, look, we are going to commit to helping marketers be more successful. 
We feel if we do that and we help our customers be more successful, then we will actually sell more stuff in the long run. It's not rocket science. Exactly. They just need to do it. And they're saying, yeah. oh, let's do this creative hub and we've got this other approach thing and we've got – you know what? They just need to have a champion come forward and say, this is what we're dedicated to helping them be successful. These are This is the platform we're creating to make that happen. Mm. I would like to see exactly. that. I don't know if they're going to yeah, do that. Yeah, well, it would be it would be it would, you know, it would stand out. I mean, this goes to other parts of, you know, it goes to my rant and it goes to a story we'll talk about here in a minute, but but it's 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 really this would be that would be a big bold initiative and not just sort of a little test bed, but something that truly is institutional and at this point that would be a rounding error in Facebook's marketing budget oh, to do something truly innovative and big and Go say basically, we're going to create an entire, you know, like an entire digital marketing, social marketing institute, as it were, and really just knock it out of the park and help marketers become good at their. You know what? I mean this this article on the Creative Hub from Facebook. It's on Ad Age. They should just go out and do it, like buy an Ad Age. Yes. Well, right. Right. But well, maybe not Ad Age. That's that's the example. I, I mean, why not? Why wouldn't they do that? I, yeah, they could go by the AMA. They could go by any of the associations and become anyway. Come on, Facebook, rant, you but. can do it! <laughs> Yay, you can do it! <laughs> like, all right, I know. that's our cue Sorry. to move on. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those shows. It's just early. <laughs> our Sunday next morning. story comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal, um, and the headline here, and a big hat tip here, by the way, to, uh, oh, and I missed I missed a hat tip. I wanted to give a hat tip to the the the, uh, the creation of the uh, Facebook hub there. Hat tip to Jessica Miller there, at Jessica Thanks, Miller, Jessica. On, at Jessica S. Miller, sorry, on Twitter. Um, thank you, Jessica, for that story. Um, so this story comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal, and a big hat tip here to Jay Acunzo, our friend, a wonderful friend, um, Jay there, and the headline here is, Podcast Companies Are now experimenting with sponsored content. Now, before you go, well, duh, that's what else is new. Um, This is a really interesting little bit of a twist here. Um, And as the Wall Street Journal, uh, which is the story we'll link to in the show notes, of course, starts out, it says, podcast listeners are used to hosts stopping mid-program, irony duly noted here, (laughs) to read advertisements for delivery mattress services, email marketing companies, or discount stocks. They are not used to the entire show being one long ad. Media companies ranging from BuzzFeed to the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal have formed internal units dedicated to creating sponsored articles and videos for brands that feel similar to regular editorial work. But more recently, podcast companies like Gimlet Media, Panoply, and Midroll Media are trying their hand at making sponsored shows for big marketers, too. Gimlet Media, which gets 6 million podcast downloads a month across shows like Reply All and Mystery Show, has launched a new sponsored content studio called Gimlet Creative. The first show created by the unit is an aptly named Open for Business, a six-episode podcast about entrepreneurship that's sponsored by eBay. So what think you, Mr. Polizzi? Is this... uh is this a, is this a, was it inevitable that this was going to happen? Well, first of all, I get why they're sort of making a big deal out of this, but I looked at, again, I said, what, what is this? Why is this news? Is this news because it's audio? Like, I actually, I'm going to ask you the question. Why is this news? Is this news? Because, uh, I mean, even though we we've, we've charted examples Look, in print for, and yeah, social I, and every other channel, is it because audio is different? 
Like, why is that? No, I think it's I think it's news. Well, I'm going to answer your question. Come on. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm going to answer okay. it. Back off, Polizzi. <laughs> All right. So uh, here's what I think. I think for us inside baseball, we've watched this happen, right? We happen to know some companies and friends that are starting companies that are doing it or thinking about doing exactly this, right? Opening up podcast and audio and, and other kinds of studios that are going to work with brands to create, not only just, you know, create a show and then speculatively sell it to a, a sponsor, but also work with brands to create entire series there. So we, we know people who are trying that business model out. And Interestingly, I think so for those of us in the inside baseball crowd, this isn't that much news and we could probably see it just as the page turning on the podcast sponsorship, um, you know, sort of sort of evolution, as it were. But I think for a lot of people, this is different. This is this is really news. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be lost on us that this is coming out of The Wall Street Journal um, where we're seeing, you know, this is much more of a general business trend that we can start to see with, you know, media companies, and in this case, very specifically focused podcast companies, but that trend will probably start to traverse into the clear channels and those that are starting to buy these podcast companies and sort of revolutionize radio. Um, you know, I don't know that the, 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 the sponsorship versus in-line reading of an ad is that terribly different. You know, it's the creation of the content that's really different here. But I guess the reason it's news is because it's we're not the target market for this news. And so covering it here, we're really speaking to those that would have never seen yeah, this happen. I, I hear what you're saying. I would have rather the and nothing wrong. Stephen Perlberg is the author of this. He does. He, he's been covering this content marketing in general more and more, which is fantastic. I want him to <laughs> continue to do that. But I would have rather started the article and saying, even though for the last hundred plus years, uh, brands have been creating content and they could give the examples like the furrow from John Deere and Procter and Gamble and on and on and on that it was just more than sponsored where they were having a say in the content itself. And they were actually helping to produce this content instead of saying that this is a new thing. It's really not a new thing, but Hey, I get it now. Uh, what I, what I do think is interesting is did, did you check out the podcast, the, the eBay sponsored podcast they talk about? I have not. It's yet. actually no, really it's it's interesting. It, Was it yeah, good? I think it's great. It's sort of in that Gimlet style where they have a moderator. In this case, his name's John Henry. He's an entrepreneur. He sort of talks about here's the challenge and here's what we're doing, and then they go and interview somebody and they get clips and they bring it all together and it's about twenty minutes long, and it's great. And it doesn't pitch eBay at all. You obviously clearly know that eBay and Gimlet are co-producing this as something. So I like that uh, that standpoint of the whole thing. Now here's my rant if there is one it's six episodes right that, that's right so it's a campaign, it's a campaign. right it's, i'm like it's, oh yeah you had it so close and you let it slip <laughs> away after six episodes <laughs> right like and i get it right somebody said hey okay well i'll spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars on this for six episodes and let's see how it goes and i get that right. maybe if it goes well they'll continue and do that, but I would like to see a brand step up and say, "Look, we believe in this. We're going to build this audience on this channel with this particular content niche, and it, we're going we're going to commit to twelve months of it, whatever the case is." So, right, that's right, that's right. Did it say? And, and I don't remember from the article, and I don't have it right in front of me. But did it say whether the six episodes were going to be weekly, monthly, 
or on a regular consistent schedule or is it or is it just we're going to do six episodes and you can basically binge listen to them uh, i didn't catch that uh when i went to download the podcast there was a trailer so they sort of announced it, and then they I just, they only have episode one up right now. So I'm under the assumption okay. that I'm gonna I'm thinking it's going to be weekly, is the way that they're yeah. going to do it, and then they'll be done. And yeah. so it's basically a two month program. Um, so I'm hoping that something like that. I mean, they put a lot of time and effort into it. It would it would be a shame. We talk about it all the time to put all this heart and soul into something and to start to build an audience, and then at the end you're like, ah, oh, you know what? We're gonna do something else now. We're done. Let's go. And that's what brands yeah. have done. For it since forever, right? It's like, oh, we're, we'll do something really great. We get everybody really excited. We'll build this audience, and then we'll say, no, we're going to move over there now. You have to go find, like, just you lose all that equity that you built yeah. over that. Well, time. I mean, and to your point, I mean, they could, you know, because you know, even in television, you'll do a, you know, you'll do a first season run, and it'll say, you know, okay, it'll be thirteen episodes or whatever it is. But you know, the idea is is that if it does well, it's going to continue on and on and on and on and. To your point, I think it would have been better either if they had said, "Look, we're going to start with six keep, episodes as an initial season, and and we'll you know we'll see if it you know and if it takes off, we'll we'll do more." Basically, that's uh, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what's missing, I'm, and maybe that's their plan. They just haven't communicated that to the Wall Street Journal. But I'm hoping that's what, and it's right. That's that's what I mean is is that the, so something is either something got lost in translation there at you know and they do plan to do it more you know more than just six episodes or they've basically said now nah, we're going to do six and it's just a campaign and to your exactly to your point it's like eh, that's a missed opportunity because now what you've done is you've set everybody's expectations that there's going to be six of them and no more and so why why really get invested why why should i get invested in this for six episodes you know it's interesting looking at the research and of course we we talk about tom webster's uh, research at edison research all the time um so they, they quoted in here 21 percent of americans over the age of 12 have listened to a podcast in the last month that's up from 17 percent last year and 15 percent in 2014 i'm predicting that next year as we talk about that that number is going to be about 30 plus i think we're going to start seeing some acceleration in this area um, yeah, where I think so where too. there's yeah, where, I mean there's definitely enough activity, uh, and it's still it's still the one content type that you can multitask around. So <laughs> we're bullish on the podcast, <laughs> just a, just a little bit, <laughs> if you will. So. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next story here. This comes courtesy of Adweek, um, and it is a stat that says 73% of ad buyers cite user experience as a major industry challenge. This would be the Steph Curry of complaints from <laughs> ad marketers and advertisers saying, wah, wah. The Interactive Advertising Bureau Cargo and Refinery29 surveyed 283 marketers and media agency executives last month and found that nearly three quarters, 73% of them, believe that user experience needs improvement in digital marketing. In other words, those players likely believe that digital ads must entail strong, creative work or risk driving consumers to use ad blockers. Smartphone users uh, who own ad blocking software jumped by 90% of the past year, totaling nearly 420 million around the globe. Those figures came from a recent report by PageFairy, a startup that helps publishers get around ad blockers and prioritize data, which tracks mobile apps. When it specifically comes to multi screen environment, the IAB survey also sussed out ad clutter 
creative quality and interruptive advertising as the other chief challenges. And so <laughs> my take on this, and then I would love to get yours, is yeah, it's this is this is this is whining at its at its top level here. You know, this is marketers and advertising professionals complaining about the quality of advertising and marketing. And so fix it. <laughs> Don't I mean there's there's some complaints I, I around the media companies and the publishers that are desperately trying to monetize things in a way that clutters up the ad inventory and clutters it up. But we've talked about on this show before the the sort of waning practice of great creative and digital because of the commoditization and and the fragmentation of content across all these channels and how it's you know it, it's a real investment to put great creative into these things but if this is the if this is what you truly believe to be the problem and by the way I don't think it's this is the problem in other words I don't think the problem with interaction with ads is because the ads aren't good enough um, it's it this it's like f- just fix it that that's the that's well that's yeah my you know what the problem what is do you think? the problem is because they're ads that's the right. problem that's right it's like let's I said to a pub- I said to a publisher the other day um, I said to a publisher um, you need to understand something that advertising is a content type it's not a strategy and he looked at me like I had four heads and he said what do you mean by that and I said because you sell inventory in your publication. What advertisers choose to put in that inventory is entirely up to them. They could put amazing content in that inventory, or you could make a bigger piece of inventory available, real estate, and they could put really interesting. Now, at what point it become, it goes from an ad to a native ad to an advertorial, yeah. that's completely up to you and your definition. But quite frankly, what advertisers and marketers choose to put in the space that they call an advertisement is entirely up to them. And quite frankly... Most of it is an ad. It sucks, and so this this is why I say stop bitching about it and do something about it. Yeah. You know, so I'm a little off topic, but I'll, I'll get back to the point. I was talking to a couple of musicians recently, and they were complaining about the internet. They were saying, "Oh, it used to be great. I mean, we used to have these live experiences, <laughs> and it was awesome when we got all these gigs. And now we're not making the money we used to right. because of of the internet." And I'm like, <laughs> and I just want to, like, I, and I've got all these case studies, of course, where you can talk about all these amazing musicians that found, that have been able to monetize their audiences and whatever. Right. But the whole thing yeah. I got out of it was, where? You know, like, okay, are you just going <laughs> to complain or are you going to do something about it? So that's what, right. that's the way that I saw this as well. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> are yeah. we going to change our behavior at all? Because this is what right. we feel is, no, we're just going to keep complaining about it. Let's just, it's a, yeah, I mean, I love that. I, I love that. The, 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 you know, well, the we should internet. make the internet great it's again. Like, uh, okay, well, well, yeah. Let's just say that it is. What are you going to do about it? Yes, yeah. yeah Consumer, yeah. The, the whole business model of music has changed. So, what are you going right. to do? I'm just going to be upset. This is like people complaining about traffic, right? You can't complain about traffic when you're you are traffic. <laughs> you, you are part of the problem. <laughs> you are traffic. Just leave Don't complain the scenario. About it. Yeah, if you... it's that big of a problem, leave the scenario. That's yeah, anyways. exactly. All right. Okay, our last story for the show today, before we get into our fun rants and raves, is comes to us courtesy of CMO.com. 
And these five charts, says the headline, show the state of content marketing today. So the perfect thing and the perfect storm to make Mr. Pulitzi happy, a study. Um, <laughs> nothing grabs people's attention like a good story, says the article opening. That's why businesses today are increasingly concentrating their efforts and shifting their advertising strategies to craft brand stories that everyone hopes will captivate the hearts and minds of consumers. As a result, content marketing is all the rage these days, and never mind that the term means many different things to many different brands and CMOs. To better understand the landscape, Ascend2 recently surveyed 219 marketing influencers about what they are doing to achieve content marketing success. The following are the top five learnings in chart form, and it goes on to sort of detail those findings. Anything in here stand out to you? Oh, well... Uh, <laughs> I have a, a couple small items on my list here, Robert. Um, first yeah. of all, the the second one, barriers still remain. This is this always cracks me up, and of course, we see this in our own research. What are the most important, most significant barriers to achieving important goals? Number one, lack of an effective strategy. Number two, lack of content creation resources. And I put down in my little notes here. How do you know? <laughs> How do you know if whether or not you need more or less resources if you don't have a strategy first? That's just the thing right. that kills me. It's like we always think we need more of something, but we really don't know what we're trying to do in the first place. And that goes on the whole line. Budget, everything below lack of an effective strategy is meaningless until you get some kind of an effective strategy working. Um, so I'm just going to say that. I'll drop that right there. Uh, yeah, no, I think this in many ways, you know, I look at this research and and um, and I think it's, you know, I, I, look, I'm glad they did it. And I'm glad it's another lens on the on the, you know, on on something obviously that we care deeply about here. Um, you know, I, I I would love to see the sort of the the you know, they, they say in the, the methodology here, this is to marketing influencers. And so I'm not really quite sure how that's defined. But I think the one of the things that continues to interest me, I guess is the right word, is when I see these most important goals. Um, and, you know, this, I'm, I'm finding this more and more. This is a very B2B looking chart. And I'm not even suggesting that this is skewed way heavy to B2B or whatever. But to me, when I look at the chart, it feels very B2B where increased lead generation, increased customer engagement, increased you know, lead nurturing, sales revenue, et cetera, yep. are the top goals of the content marketing strategy. And yep. I, yeah, it, it feels very B2B. And I'm not suggesting that the study skewed that way, but it just from my top level look here at the, at the, at the data, it feels like a very B2B chart. But what I would say to that is I'm just trying, you know, this is going to be the focus of my talk at content marketing world this year. And it's just, I want there to be an expansion of the strategy. And to your point, without the strategy, everything else becomes really meaningless. But really, I'm finding so much hashtag fail, if you will, the marketers that are really frustrated with their results are because they're so myopically focused on the top of the funnel. They're so focused on increasing the leads, you know, the number of leads coming through or the number of the amount of traffic or, you know, improving lead nurturing, which I actually is one of my favorite goals. But interestingly, it falls down to fourth here in the in the priority level, but increasing sales revenue, very top of the funnel ideas here. And I think there are multiple ways, especially if this is a nascent process in your organization, there are so many other lines of value that could be provided 
provided you have a great strategy to underpin it, right? If you've got a great strategy, there are so many other ways to derive value out of content marketing and an owned media asset other than top of the funnel sort of, those are the easy ones, right? I mean, and I don't mean easy, like they're easy to achieve. I mean, easy to identify. And so let's take four or five layers deeper here and start looking at different ways we can deliver value to the business using an owned media asset and the creation of an audience around that asset. And that, so I'm, I'm hopeful that we can start to evolve this conversation around content marketing into something deeper than just putting more leads in the funnel. Because quite frankly, if that's the only problem we're solving, we're not terribly strategic. We're, you know, if the only thing we do is pour more leads over the sales organization or pour more leads into the website or pour more opportunities into the shopping cart, but we don't solve the bigger issue, all we're doing is providing an alternative way of doing advertising. Mm -hmm. And that too will decay over time as we start doing it. And so it's, we've got to be, we've got to think deeper and and bigger than this. And, and this is was this was a good illustration of that. Well, I love that take. And and you've talked, you talk about it all the time. And so do I, like when we get a question of where should we start, what goals should we start? It's like, well, it depends on your company, depends on a lot of things. But if I'm you, I'm looking at ways to create better customers. I'm looking at loyalty retention first. I'm looking at somebody I already have a relationship with and how I can help them be more successful and it'll help our company in some way instead of the top of the funnel. The the only thing that I will say on learning three and learning five in here is, uh, and maybe maybe the point is, um, you said this is 219 marketing influencers that took this survey. This right. is way too yeah. positive. There's no way if you were talking to regular. Well, that was my other. That was yeah. yeah. That's my other question here. It's like when when you see ninety percent, an eighty nine percent. Excuse me, eighty nine percent that basically said that their effectiveness is increasing or increasing significantly. That's I totally then, disagree with that. But yet half yeah. of them say that they don't. They the biggest barrier is lack of an effective strategy. Something's askew. See there. now, let's say that if it's a marketing influencer or a marketing blogger that has been doing this for five, six years, I could Fair probably enough. say, yeah, yeah absolutely, I could yeah. see that. If you are a marketing executive, a marketing director, a marketing manager of some kind of large enterprise, this is absolutely not the case because the numbers that we see are exactly the opposite. They are struggling like crazy to the point you just talked about. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, but maybe the maybe the. The people that were taking this were all in, you know, living in lollipop <laughs> land or something like that. Maybe. <laughs> just, yeah, maybe they're just really happy when they took this survey. And they said, well, this day I'm of course, good about it. Of course, of course, <laughs> you can be successful with content marketing. Of course, but you maybe, can. maybe if you don't have a strategy, you're going to uh, suck at this. Anyway, so I think, yeah, it's to yeah. your point, it's interesting, but I, I don't think this is... <clears throat> This is surveying marketers. I think it's surveying yeah. bloggers and influencers, and then I would I would buy into it more. Well, speaking of forward leaning marketers and those that have vision, we have a wonderful sponsor to talk about, and I'm going to guess that they're daunting but doable. Well, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, Robert, did you know? Yes, that webinars are consistently what? rated as the number one marketer tactic for lead generation, I with over sixty percent of all marketers utilizing webinars. But many businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. Following a simple five-step plan, the keys to using webinars for successful lead generation indeed do go from daunting 
to do daunting yes. to doable from finding your audience and developing engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar brought to you by our good friends at go to webinar if you have not downloaded this wonderful content asset you need to do this right now at cmi.media slash pnr 136 that's cmi.media slash pnr 136 or you can also get this at this old marketing.com in our show notes uh special special thanks to go to webinar i think we did decide last week that uh they have sponsored PNR's this old marketing more than anyone else and we certainly appreciate their support and if you want this you know good programming like robert and joe's to go on and on what do they say on pbs you need to support yeah, well, they're, and they're doing that right now in <laughs> fact, they really right? they're, they're, would you support yeah. us support our sponsors yeah. who support this great content <laughs> there i was i was listening to the npr on the way um to the grocery store and I was listening, and it was one of those like sad little moments on NPR when they're like, "We've got fifty nine hundred dollars right now, Joe, and um, the phones have gone silent, <laughs> um, and we're just waiting for the phone to ring." And um, oh, oh, there's there's one now. Okay, and oh, we're at a bit. Uh, Oh, and now we have $6,000. Great. Okay. And the phones have gone silent again. And oh, no. <laughs> it was just, it was like, ooh, this was just That's sad. That's a little scary. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of our show. It is our rants and raves section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that, you know, makes us feel like we're appreciated on Father's Day or we're just sitting alone in front of a computer screen doing nothing. Doing so, a doing a podcast, <laughs> doing a podcast on a Father's Day Sunday. There we are, um, and let's see. I, I yes, you go first because you have this old marketing. I do this week. absolutely. This, this is a real, real quick one. This is courtesy of many, many people, and, and including our good friend James Gardner, send this along to us. Uh, so this article comes from TNW, and many others covered it as well. And it's called Snapchat's launching a digital magazine focused on the intersection of life and tech. Let me read a little bit out of this. I know you saw this, Robert, but I have a little take on here. Uh, Snap, it says, Snapchat doesn't only busy itself with creating filters or adding clients to its Discover platform. It's now becoming a publisher in its own right, starting with Real Life, a new online magazine set to launch on June 27th. Real Life will be headed by Nathan Jurgensen, a social media critic and researcher at Snapchat. And he described the upcoming publication on its site like this. Real Life will publish essays, arguments, and narratives about living with technology. It won't be a news site with gadget reviews or industry gossip. It will be about how we live today and how our lives are mediated by devices. We plan to publish one piece of writing every weekday, though we may eventually expand to other mediums and formats as well. Okay, so my rave on this is, of course, I, I this could work. It's a good. It could be a good idea. It's a, it could be a great way to build and educate their core yeah. audience. Of their younger population, so we like that. Any way they can continue to build more of a relationship with their audience, the better. So I like that. Now, here's my rant. Why why do brands always announce programs like this when there is nothing there yet? Like, oh, we got this big thing coming. coming. It's going to be great, but there's not. I go, I get the article. And I'm thinking, oh, good. I'm going to go to it. I can read some of it. I can gauge in it. I can get a feel for it. No, there's nothing there except for it's coming soon. Now, my take is if Snapchat was 
you know, act, actually acting like a real publisher, they would have just started publishing and they would prove the value of the program ongoing and then people would find it. And then after the magazine is working and there are some tangible pieces of content, then they could promote it out a bit. That's how you normally do it. I think doing something like this sets them up for more of a failure possibility than if they just acted like they'd been in the end zone before and just started to publish that's right so you know all in all all in all i like the move don't get me wrong it's smart depending on what the content will be but i'm not a fan of the the big launch sequence that could possibly set the program up for higher expectations or even a pressure to succeed that that doesn't need to be there so that's that's my take this week yeah that's a good one i i you're absolutely right you know and and it's you know what it is it's it's a it's a it's basically a software company view on how to do product launches, yeah. right? And so you announce the vaporware first, and you see what the reaction is, and all of that, and then you sort of build into that, and then you then and then you launch the product at some point later. And so, exactly to your point, they're not thinking like publishers; they're thinking like a software company at this point. So, yeah, fascinating. Actually, I hadn't I hadn't even thought about that before. It's a really interesting. It's a really interesting challenge that we can start to look at as we start looking at act as marketers start acting like publishers is to is to actually, you know, do the thing, build the thing, start operating the thing and then well, announce the I, thing. I, I've been a part of a couple of these in the past where yeah. <laughs> you get the PR team and the communication team. They're putting the release together. Everything's going. They're like, we're going to do this content thing. This is amazing. Let's do it. And I'm like, OK, let me get this right. You're going to get all this excitement. You're going to people to look at it, you know, to, to talk about it or want people to talk right. about it. You want, nothing you want people to, to cover it, but yet they're going to go to something and there's nothing there. Why don't we actually do the thing for a little bit and then let people right. know about it when there's something there that they can review and maybe they'll opt in and we can get subscribers when we do it. But right now we're not going to get Thanks. anything. So, Right. That's exactly go. right. All right. All right. Well, so now I have a, uh, I don't know if it's a rant or a rave. It's, it's probably more commentary than anything else. Um, it may be slightly ranty. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Go ahead. I'll I'll be the judge of that. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. So we covered a little bit of this last week. Um, and so it's interestingly, it's a, it's a bit of an inside baseball thing, but I think it's going to become, Something that actually, I think we're in the early days of this, even though the article that I'll speak to basically says there's there's nothing to see here, so move along, folks. Um, and I find it interesting that this is all happening quite literally as Con Lion begins this week, and all of the advertisers uh, are gathering in the south of France and are going to celebrate themselves and their wonderful creative capabilities of creating awesome new campaigns. And weirdly enough, you know, some of the things that we talked about on this show are going to become front and center of the, the con line awards, you know, great advertising and sponsored content and branded entertainment and all that stuff. And yet, well, content marketing is not a part of that, but that's another rant for another day. But the, what happened last week was um, the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers, released a report. And this is getting a lot of play in the inside baseball of agencies and, and, and the ANA and, and the 4As and stuff like that and on ad age and, and, and that sort of circle. And not a lot of play 
outside everywhere else. But here's where I think it will. And so just to catch you up, if you haven't heard, basically there was an investigation by the Association of National Advertisers. Um, they obviously represent the advertiser, the marketer on the on, on this side of the equation. And they found that rebates including cash rebates and other non-transparent practices are basically pervasive in the media buying ecosystem, the ad buying ecosystem among the big agencies. And they basically found that media buying services have been caught with a weird conflict of interest of getting these rebates back from publishers and media companies and or they're pressuring their agency buyers, basically mid-level managers, senior people are pressuring um, at the holding companies, pressuring media companies or the agencies to basically buy advertising and media companies that the holding company might have equity in. So there's a huge conflict of interest there, obviously, and blah, blah. This latter bit I'm going to come back to in just a second. But basically, this report that came out last week is now spurring all of this debate. The ANA, weirdly and funnily, is now in direct opposition to the four A's, um, which, of course, represent the agencies on that side. Basically, the four A's have come out and said, this is ridiculous. You know, how dare you? You've got to have evidence to back this up. And the agencies are all publicists and WPP are all up in arms about this is how can you say this? This is you have no evidence of this. This is spurious. And of course, the advertisers, the Procter and Gambles and the Unilevers and the companies that are actually buying media are like, hey, thanks for having our back here. This is really interesting. And so there's a very tense time going on now. Um, in 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 the midst of all of this. Now, the article that I'll um, link to, and we'll link to both articles, but the article that I'm going to talk a little bit about is this article that just came out this week in Ad Age, and it's written by a professor at a university who is also a former agency person who says basically that the sad truth of this ANA report is that clients are to blame for the lack of urgency and transparency. And he goes on to make a case that basically says that most of the findings in this report are, quite frankly, very uh, mundane, as he uses the word, but says like kickbacks and fraud and unethical practices and all this kind of stuff is really the fault of the clients because they're squeezing the agencies so hard for money on the media buying that they're having to, to, um, to, you know, to resort to these kinds of, uh, of practices in order to make any kind of money at all. And that basically if clients would just start realizing that they need agencies in order to exist – that they would treat them better and give them a chance to make money at their game. And so ultimately, it would be a win-win for everybody. So (laughs) with that sort of stage set, here's what I say. Because I look at both of those sides, and I've been following this little Roman gladiator battle a little closely here from the outside. And so one of the biggest challenges, and I talked to this last week, one of the biggest challenges with publishers right now is this weird conflict of interest between editorial and sales, right? So as I talk to publishers, more publishers get into the business of providing creative services more broadly or journalism services more specifically to their clients. There's this tension of conflict between interest between editorial and the media money. So here we have the direct opposite where companies, agencies, have been providing creative services more broadly and journalism services more recently, and they've discovered that there's a weird tension between providing that at a decreasing margin and maintaining the high quality of said services while they do that. So yeah, here we are, agencies, for what you used to get paid 15% for and now 10% and then 8% and slowly getting squeezed for less and less and less in this fragmented world where advertising is becoming less effective to all the points we made during this show. Welcome to the circus. 
And agencies have responded by, guess what, figuring out, well, I'll use the word innovative maybe, but some people might call it unethical, ways of figuring out ways to make money. So agencies, welcome to the wonderful world of being a media company. <laughs> Come on in. The water is very, very, very cold. So, so what do I think? I think it, again, it po points to this weird roadblock that agencies, big companies especially, are putting up for themselves. They're continuing to not shed that label, as I mentioned in my intro today. They're not shedding that label of agency, which of course was originally derived, the agency word was because you were an agent of the, uh, of the actual buyer and you would buy media on their behalf. You were an agent of them. This is where I disagree with this professor and the author here. Clients don't need agencies. They don't need agencies. This is, this is the classic thing that we have learned in marketing. Clients don't need us. They need a problem solved. And they'll get that problem solved, that strategic help in figuring out marketing from someone, from some place, from something. They don't need agencies. That can come from simply anywhere. And I think it again points to an opportunity for the disruptors of the classic agency model. They talk about contracts here that haven't been negotiated in 10 years. Or the McDonald's review recently where WPP pulled out because the terms were just too onerous on the media buying side. And so guess what? That money is going to get spent either foolishly by McDonald's or it's going to get spent wisely by McDonald's. But the market's going to self-correct itself here. The only question is going to be who's on the right side of the self-correction of the market. And so the four A's can bitch and moan all at once and clients can continue to think that they can squeeze agencies until they bleed. But the interesting and smart move to me would be to figure out where the pivot is here. When I see publishers buying agencies, or I see companies launching their own owned media properties to compete directly with the media, or I see buying publishing companies, or disintermediating agencies, or agencies buying publishing companies, those are interesting pivots in a very, very disruptive world that we live in now in this relationship between agencies, media companies, and the marketers that are trying to make things work. So these are fun times. The labels are changing, and it's time that the successful people are going to be the ones to figure this out and not just complain about it. That's my that's my rant. I, no, I, I would say that, that was that was commentary. I I, yeah. I think that that was probably correct when you said that. But it's interesting. Just to, okay, good. to your point, good. if you go back to our podcast discussion that we just had, and whether it's uh, Gimlet or Panoply or the whatever, these companies aren't traditional agencies. These are new like almost pivots from media companies or just new entities altogether that see that opportunity where, you know, if you were an agency really looking at something, you know, that, that, that was there, that's there for the taking if they choose to do that. Yeah. But I think on both right. sides, I think that agencies right. or media yeah, no, on both sides, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to the, the, the most fascinating thing to me is about this ANA report and what's going on here is that at the heart of it seems to be this unethical, quote unquote, because I'm not going to make a call on that. I'll let the market and the world make a call on that. But this unethical thing that agencies are doing where they're trying, they have this deal with a client to do something, basically create wonderful advertising and go buy a bunch of media to place that advertising in. And then on the back end of that, 
in a non-transparent, apparently, way, going to the media companies and saying, hey, listen, I'm getting squeezed, so guess what? You're going you're gonna to buy some research from me, and I'm gonna, you're going to send me a check, or you're going to buy me a coffee, and you're going to send me a check for $100,000 for that cup of coffee or something, but I'm going to put my media in you, and you're, gonna, you're the one going to get squeezed now, but I have to show that I'm paying this much for the media, and so that, guess what? You, we have to figure out something on the back end to make this work. And basically, the advertisers are going, uh, that's not right. Don't stop doing that. The media companies are like, they, they can't love this. They don't love that. And the ad agencies, I'm sure, don't love doing it, but they're trying to figure out a way to sort of survive in this. And, what it's, this, and it's the same thing. It's the exact same, basically, stress that media companies are going right through right now, which is... The ad buyers, excuse me, the ad sales guys are running out and they're talking to all these clients and they're going, hey, we got to figure out this content marketing thing because every client I'm going into and trying to sell them an ad, they're going, um, hello, I want some content. I want some cool stuff. And they're going back to their bosses and going, we, got, we don't have anything to sell them anymore. My bag of tricks is empty. I need some content to sell them. And the editorial people are going, yeah, no, that's not our shtick, right? We don't do that. Yeah. And so there's this weird tension between the ethical nature of producing content for clients as, and it's just as fat, it's the same thing. And it's just a really interesting time to be publishing media company um, and advertising agency and client and the weird trifecta relationship that we have there. And it's all changing. Makes me want to go back and read the book, Lord of the Flies. I think that's what I'm... I think that's. I think that's You're standing up there with a giant pig's head. I think that's. Is that what uh, yeah, I, I yeah. think that for whatever reason, I'm not going to say <laughs> how this popped into my head. But for what you were saying, All right then, I found a Lord there of the Flies. All right, uh, thank you, sir. That was uh, fascinating as as no, normal. Uh, I have this old marketing this week. Yes, you do for a while, and you know this is super interesting to me. So in the past. We've covered Think Money Magazine, as you know, from TD Ameritrade on this podcast yeah. as a this old yeah. marketing example. And to refresh everyone's memory out there, Think Money is a magazine for options and stock traders who trade often. And it's distributed in print and digital. And we've seen a great amount of success. They've seen a great amount of success. Uh, one of the metrics is that those traders who subscribe to the magazine trade five times more than those that don't. It's an amazing success story. So, But here's what you don't know about. Here's what you don't know about the story. In January of 2009, TD Ameritrade purchased the trading platform Thinkorswim for $606 million USD. Think Money Magazine was part of Thinkorswim, and TD Ameritrade received Think Money as part of the acquisition. The Think Money That's team right. had to effectively then resell the idea of the magazine to Ameritrade, which they did, and it continues successfully today. Now, Thinkorswim, before the purchase, was was rabid about customer education. The traders were extremely loyal to the platform, and Thinkorswim paid that back with multiple ongoing educational efforts. Now, yes, the magazine, which became a cult hit among traders, but also a little organization called Invest Tools. Now, Invest Tools was and is a site dedicated to ongoing education for traders in just about every area of investing. This educational backbone became so much part of their go-to-market strategy that even on Wikipedia, Thinkorswim is called both an investor education and an online brokerage, which I, which I think is totally amazing. That's interesting. Yeah. 
But what I found found out recently was was really interesting. The TD Ameritrade did purchase Thinkorswim in part because of their educational platform invest tools. Now, what was happening with Ameritrade customers was that they would someone would become a customer, they would start training, trading, but they didn't know when to sell their stock or option. They weren't successful, and then their account went became stagnant. And a stagnant account to Ameritrade is terrible. Like you've got to have activity in the account, or they're not making any money. Now, the folks at Ameritrade thought this was a pure financial education problem. So in comes Invest Tools, which now is integrated an integrated part of TD Ameritrade and the TD Ameritrade customer experience. Now, when you sign up as a new customer, you get a free you get free Invest Tools credits for ongoing education. And the more you invest wow, with yeah, the more you invest with TD Ameritrade, the more credits you get. And if you invest enough, the entire platform is free. So TD Ameritrade believes that better educated customers uh, are basically creating better customers for TD Ameritrade. So when you go to Invest Tools, it's like a complete university. Every day they have a podcast on the state of the market, ongoing webinar series and different tracks. Uh, you can take courses depending on what level you're at. And I think they have 10 categories from options trading to futures trading. Now, they also have an annual investor education conference, which is free to very, very good customers. It's actually pretty – the whole thing is pretty impressive, and I've tried a few of the courses, and they're top-notch all the way. So in looking back, I think you can make a case that Thinkorswim received a premium for their company from TD Ameritrade because of the educational platforms they created. And you've talked about this before, Robert. I mean, there's value there. There was a premium value paid for Thinkorswim because of that education that they had and that relationship with the customers. Now, at the same time, I think it's also clear that TD Ameritrade is trying to make their customers smarter, helping them to be more successful, and then seeing that come back to them through more trading. So I love this example of Investools. Well, this is great example of this whole marketing. It truly is. And and what I love about that is, is that it just gets to the exact thing we were talking about on this show when we were talking about the research, right? And the sort of focus on the top of the funnel. You know, the, this Invest Tools doesn't close any more business for them. It doesn't provide any more web traffic and it doesn't provide any more lead nurturing for them. Maybe, right? Maybe. I mean, maybe yeah. they're doing it in a way that sort of says, hey, by the way, in addition to this great trading platform, you also get this option of this really cool, you know, maybe they're doing that. But really what it provides for is a customer engagement, a different experience, a more valuable experience over the top of what they're already selling and putting into the marketplace, right? So their main product and service that they put into the marketplace is, of course, their trading platform. But everybody has a trading platform these days. And so how do they differentiate in the market? How do they do that? Well, they're doing it with a content-driven platform, which is this university, which makes their clients mm-hmm. better educated. They trade more. They stay longer. They buy more stuff. They, they differentiate on a, you know, call it loyalty or cross-sell or upsell or whatever you want to do it. It is a different part of the funnel being optimized and i that's that i love it for that it's really it's actually quite interesting how they do that because if as you become a customer you get like a personal trainer from invest tools that's there to sort of help you and they ask you okay what's your goals and how can i you know and and outside they're not you've already done the deal they're not trying to get more money from you they're just trying to help you be more successful so that's right which of course helps them them be more successful successful. that's right and i what's interesting is I, I mean, of course, I've known about the Think Money magazine since since it almost started. I did not know yeah. about this whole Invest Tools thing. And when I found it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is brilliant. I love this. So yeah. Yeah. anyways, there we go. 
There you go. Well, you're off to you're off to London off to town. London town. So I will be there uh, for. And what do you? You're London you're starting calling. your travel again this week, aren't you? I do. Yes, I am off to New York uh, tomorrow. A very short trip for me. My last of the speaking. I guess you'd call it the spring speaking season. It's my last trip um, before I have a couple of weeks off and a little vacay for my birthday. But I'm speaking to. I forget the name of the conference, but it's basically all of the golf course owners uh, of the world. So they have a big conference where multi, you know, big corporations that own golf courses to the mom and pops who own golf courses all get together in New York and have a big conference about what it's like to own golf courses. And I am there. I'm the clo- I'm the lock note, as they call it these days, the closing. Well, that makes perfect sense since you are the scratch golfer that you are. Yeah. <laughs> that makes exactly. perfect well, sense. Funny enough, that's my opening. That's my opening, which is, yeah, I don't know. I don't know jack about jack about <laughs> your sports. <laughs> that's, yeah, I am such a scratch golfer. Uh, yeah, I don't even know what that means, to be honest with you. So, so yeah, so I'm a perfect, I'm a perfect fit for them. But no, I'm talking about content marketing, of course, and the evolution and what's going on there. So it should be, it should be a lot of fun. All right. Well, uh, have a safe trip, travel, and, uh, and go Cavs. Thank you, you very much, and go Cavs. And that is it for Joe Polizzi, LeBron James. This is Robert Rose. Um, we're signing off. And if you like this episode number 136, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And leave us a review, won't you? Leave us a wonderful review. Like, give us all kinds of stars and all that kind of stuff on iTunes because that helps us rank, and we want to rank really well. And when you do subscribe, if you subscribe, if you leave a review, let us know on the hashtag ThisOldMarketing. We would love to thank you personally for that. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber to our little nonsensical show that we do every single week here. Also, of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Hashtag us up. Thank you so much to those who contributed stories this week. Um, tweet us up at hashtag this old marketing. Or if you've got an email or any question at all, you can always send us an email to this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which will be available within the show as we publish on Monday night. And then, of course, in the show posted itself on thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everyone, it is your story to tell. Remember to tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.